Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Not only is Bluehost Cloud our fastest web hosting available, but it's also built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake-me-up-when-the-sun-sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts Ben Schiller, Danny Nelson, and Cam Thompson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello and welcome to Carpe Consensus. This is a podcast from the CoinS Podcast Network and I'm Ben Schiller, the features editor here at CoinS. And joining me today is the great Danny Nelson. Hi, Danny. Hello, I am joined by the birds. They are out in full force today. Tweet, 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 tweet. More like thread, 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 thread. Thread, thread, thread. thread. Very <laughs> exactly. good, very good, Danny. Um, I'm also joined by Cam Thompson. She's a Web3 reporter here and she has a new nickname, which we'll get to in a minute. Hi, Cam. Hello. Um, you know, I just have to say blue sky is over here. Blue sky Ooh. over here. Ooh. Continuing with the metaphor there. Adding that to the conversation, yeah. So have you guys been using threads or have you given up already? I never started. I haven't opened the app since I got it. Uh, okay. Blowing endorsement here at Copper Consensus. Let's get into the news this week. We've got a packed show. We're going to have to take a bit of a relaxed take on things, but we've got a lot to catch up on. So let's get to it. All right, so let's go inside the desk then. Uh, this is where we catch you up on all the latest news at Coindesk and give you our take on uh, that very news and how we reported it. And the big news last week, and still this week, I guess, is the Ripple announcement. Danny, do you want to quickly catch up our listeners on exactly what that ruling said and why it's important? Well, I... I'm sure they've read it. Oh, well, actually, I'm sure they haven't read it. I'm sure they've heard of it, if they're at all interested in crypto, because it's the biggest news we've seen in a while. This partial victory by Ripple Labs over the SEC in the question of whether XRP is or isn't a security. It turns out it is not, at least when sold to investors in a programmatic way, which is to say over exchanges. When Ripple sold to institutional investors, the judge ruled it was conducting a securities transaction. Now, that's not so important. What's important here is that the market has just eaten up this news that XRP is not a security. And even though this court case is probably going to get appealed, there's still going to be a trial. 
None of that matters because there's just this jubilation over the idea that Ripple scored even some kind of victory over the big bad SEC. Right. Uh, so just to give you a sense of that market reaction, um, I'm looking at the XRP price right now, and it's up about 50% in the last five days since that ruling. So uh, that's quite a, quite a bump. But as you say, Danny, this was very actually contradictory on that central question of whether XRP is security. And it does seem like a case of reading the headline and not reading the story, right? Uh, it is and it isn't. People have definitely read the headline and not the story. But it is a really important victory here that Ripple Labs has had, even if it may be fleeting, because this victory was so unlikely. And more importantly, it shows that XRP itself is not a security. Danny, you say it's fleeting. You say it's probably going to get appealed. Why? What are some of your thoughts around this outlook? You know, what are what are you expecting in the coming weeks, coming months? Well, we're going to be talking about years here because appeals take a very long time. But the SEC just lost. And I haven't asked Gary. I don't think he would tell me. But I don't think he's very happy that he lost. And there's a way that he could try to reverse the loss. So that's the reason why I think this will go to an appeal. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting piece that we ran last week in the wake of this announcement. It was from Preston Byrne, who's a prominent crypto lawyer. And he was saying uh, one reason why he thinks there'll be an appeal and why that appeal might even be successful is that some of the statements by the judge, uh, Annalisa Torres of the Southern District, were actually contradictory to other judgments made by this very same court on very similar questions. So, you know, it'd be quite easy for someone to come back into an appeal and say, hey, this judgment that you put out the other day about XRP, it doesn't seem to accord with this other judgment you put out against X and X and X. And that would, that would seem to be a good basis for making an appeal against this judgment. So that's just one, one idea. And as you say, Danny, uh, the other is that Gary doesn't like losing anything. So um, he's going to take a second shot at this. Uh, that would be my expectation. Yeah. You could have waited for this announcement last week to feel good about Ripple and XRP, or you could have listened to Cam Thompson last December, who made a prediction of sorts about XRP. Um, and we're going to play that clip now. Cam, if you had to become a maxi for one coin this coming year, what would you choose? If I had to be a maxi, that's yeah. a good question. You know, if there's one community that's absolutely crazy, like might just go join the XRP army. Oh no. Just for fun. Just for She's fun. She's going to get recruited. You could be a petty officer. It's about the community. You asked about being a maxi about a community, so I would choose that one because it's the most ridiculous. I can predict the future, guys. You heard it here first. So, uh, you were an XRP maximalist then. Uh, are you an XRP maximalist now? You know, when I said what I said back in December, I was thinking about the holders who have been so dedicated to this token. You know, XRP was still for sale. XRP wasn't, you know, completely banned from anywhere. You know, it wasn't ruled as a security. It was just this big floating question. I mean, of course, several exchanges delisted it and it wasn't something you could really easily get. But the people who were behind it were very passionate. And I think that people who are still behind it are even more excited about its future. That being said, I'm not sure if it's going to last that way. But it is a huge, huge cryptocurrency with a very large market cap. In terms of, you know, all of the tokens out there, it does have a really large community base. So I don't know. I mean, I kind of just said that because I thought it'd be funny. But now I'm like, wait, that was actually pretty on track with how this year would go. Yeah. But overall, I think it's a good win in terms of this really confusing time of crypto regulation and where we're going. I think it's going to be 
really telling. You know, I saw something, forget the Howie test. It's the XRP test now. So let's see what happens. I think you make a really good point about the XRP army. And I think a lot of other cryptos might have died in this period of uncertainty around that project, you know, were it not for the XRP army that is incredibly passionate, as you say, very excitable and very flaying of its critics. I mean, as soon as we get some minuscule thing wrong around uh, Ripple or XRP, we have a whole literally army on our backs on Twitter calling us out and um, calling our feet to the fire. So I think that's one reason why this project has kept going, even though there hasn't been a lot of news out of it or a lot of you know press releases or anything for us to report on. It's retained its search volume that we look at every day. And it's very much sort of been forced into our consciousness to think about, even though sometimes there haven't been substantial reasons to actually report on it. What do you think about the XRP army, Danny? Well, the army has changed ranks over the years. Back when the XRP army was in full force, we started using that term. You could just tell that the uh, Twitter boys, the Twitter bots were very strong. Now it feels like everyone's in the XRP army because everyone's so jubilant over this ruling for a project that a lot of people really don't like. So everyone's wearing that hat these days. Just tell our listeners why people don't like XRP. I mean, if you're a Bitcoiner, you have a problem with XRP, right, generally? Um, I don't, off the top of my head, know specifically why people don't like XRP. I, I don't have a good answer to that question, actually. Well, it's it, because it has unlimited supply, right? And they created it out of nothing. Oh. I mean, there's no mining. Oh, yes. I mean, it, it is not a digital nonsense nickel. In my opinion, though, it's in the same way that all of these are digital nonsense nickels. So... You know, for Bitcoin, it makes sense to not like XRP because Bitcoin does have a very specific construction to it. But more broadly, a lot of projects have created tokens. Ripple and XRP, that was just the first on a big scale. And there was a huge pre-mine, which was controversial too, i.e. the founders uh, were taking half the XRP before giving it to anyone else. We're, we're really digging deep into the history books here. So the other big news last week was that the founder and CEO of the late, uh, not particularly missed uh, crypto lending platform Celsius, Alex Machinsky, had been arrested by the authorities. It was interesting to see the reaction to that because unlike uh, SPF last November, where when he was arrested, that caused a big kerfuffle. We went to the courthouse and we followed the whole thing and that was a really big deal. With Alex Machinsky, it felt like just... Uh, a criminal being uh, taken in and dealt with in a normal sort of way, and, and nobody seemed to really bat an eyelid about it. So um, what did you think about that, Danny? So here's the deal. Here's the deal, Ben. At 10 a.m., Mashinsky got arrested. At 12 p.m., the Ripple case came out. So that's the simple reason why we're not talking about Mashinsky. Otherwise, that would be the talk of the town. But he got usurped, which is really funny for a guy like Mashinsky, who throughout his career, which expands well before crypto, has always held on to this mantle of the entrepreneurial big talker who had the spotlight. And in his moment of shame, he could not retain the spotlight because he got upstaged by Ripple. You know, I think he's got some more important things to be thinking about as he uh, sits in uh, a jail cell right now. Uh, but he definitely lost the news coverage of the day, which is a shame because he really deserved the news coverage for the day. He really did. So it wasn't that we're all so used to people being arrested and uh, having the books thrown at them? Huh? You know, we're not really that used to them being arrested. We're used to big blow-ups, but we haven't seen that many arrests. 
right? We've seen the Sam arrest. We saw the Doquan arrest, but that's a little different because it's in a different country, so it's a different process. This is something completely different. Also, considering the timing of this arrest, I mean, Celsius went under over a year ago now. You know, that was June 2022. It's July 2023. Considering it took so long for that to happen, I think people were just so ready for it and, you know, figured it would be any day versus the SBF arrest was a little bit more surprising considering it was less than a month or about a month after FTX went under. And with Do Kwon, of course, that was months after the whole Terra death spiral, but we didn't really see the effects of the Terra death spiral until much later in the summer and throughout the year. I mean, that was really the whole catalyst of the bear market. But I agree. I mean, to Danny's point, I think sometimes there are really big news things that happen on a day where something just a little bit bigger happens. So it's hard to be able to pay attention to all of that. And I think for the average crypto Twitter user, you know, it's where are you going to put your attention towards? And it's usually going to be the bigger thing. I mean, I remember there was pretty big news coming out of NFT world during the FTX collapse. But I mean, who is going to pay attention to that? Let's be honest. Right. And I suppose Ripple is all about the future and uh, Celsius is very much the past. So uh, that would explain it too. I interviewed him years ago, like probably about 2017, 2018. And I think he was just setting up Celsius then. But the, mo the main thing we talked about was that he claimed to have invented voice over IP, which is, uh, you know, idea of uh, making a phone call over the internet. And I was really impressed uh, that he'd done that. But then it turned out that that claim wasn't quite true, that there were some other people that had uh, invented actually voice over IP. And he might have released a research report or something about it, but he was certainly not the inventor of voice over IP. So um, I wish I'd checked it out then, that claim, because it might have uh, been indicative of what was to come, I suppose. The many lies of Alex Machensky. It's extremely sus. Susometer going up. All right, let's go into Danny's dungeon. It's a dark, mysterious, ugly place, uh, although Danny's not ugly and mysterious himself, but uh, anyway. Definitely one of those few things. We'll leave it to the viewers to decide. That's why, there's, look guys, there's a reason why we do uh, audio only. I'll say that much. And it's because I have a face for radio and a voice for TV. Yeah, face for radio. I was going to say that. Where, where? Anyway, uh, Ben has descended us into the dungeon. So this is the section that needs no introduction. This week, uh, we're talking about HectorDAO, which I think we may have talked about before. Who knows? You can file this one in the book of weird DAO shenanigans. Now, Hector doesn't really matter what it does because it doesn't do anything anymore. It is dying. And the thing that killed it is not Achilles, although that did happen historically. It is multi-chain, the multi-chain bridge collapse, which took out the phantom ecosystem which took out Hector Network for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, this is a DAO that had a whole lot of money, maybe $100 million at one point. Over the years, it slowly whittled that money away to the point where there was only now about $16 million left to get returned to token holders. Now, for months, these activist investors have tried to get Hector to get its act together and also give money back to token holders. Those team members refused to do so, let the clock run out, and lost in the process probably around $15, $16 million just waiting because of all these other blowups. Now the DAO is crumbling. And to give the money back, and the whole reason why we're talking about this, and I'm going on my rant, is the DAO is going to take six to 12 months of paying lawyers to figure out how to return $16 million to token holders. What's going to be left? 
Ben, with, of $16 million after 12 months of having lawyers think about it? Well, as somebody who just got divorced in the last year and uh, worked with a lot of lawyers, I can tell you that that $16 million will be gone in an instant because lawyers are very expensive. They're also uh, very liking of other people's money and they will do anything to get it from you. So um, I would expect them to not have any money left at the end of the process. That was that was Ben. Thank you for the, taking the L. That was great tape. Yeah, it, it was real. It was it was it was a moment of realness. I want to talk a little bit more about this multi-chain bridge. Obviously, bridges have been controversial in the past for their failures and ability to be very susceptible to attacks. However, it seems like things were a little bit different in this case. So, talk to me a little bit more about the failure of this bridge. Well, the reason that this bridge failed is because it had a single point of failure. And that single point of failure was the CEO who, in late May, apparently got arrested by Chinese authorities. And then stuff started breaking on multi-chain. Bridges stopped working. The teams said, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Carry on. And for some reason, a lot of projects on the Phantom ecosystem, which was really dependent on multi-chain to bring in assets like stablecoins, they ignored the obvious red flags of, well, well, we don't have a CEO right now. We don't know where he is. And they continued working on uh, through multi-chain, leaving themselves open to an incident that happened about two weeks ago in early July, where $130 million just disappeared from the bridge. It got moved in an unexplained transaction for reasons that the team says publicly that they do not understand. No one knows what caused this money to be moved. There are some theories out there that it was Chinese authorities. It's not clear if it was a hack or if it was an inside job. I think it was probably an inside job because usually when these bridges get hacked, also because of points of failure, that we quickly figure out a reason why or how it was hacked. Like, oh, they exploited this aspect of the code or, oh, there was this smart contract issue. Here, there's none of that. It was just a transaction that occurred that is unexplained. And the, the big takeaway is don't let yourself be dependent on bridges. Bridges are meant to do the thing that isn't meant to be done, which is to say move assets from the places where they should be to places where they shouldn't. Interesting. I mean, it does seem like every month there's another bridge hack story and they seem to be the most vulnerable part of the infrastructure in crypto. What do you think? 100% agree. You know, I'd heard about multi-chain separately, but I didn't realize these were connected. It has happened that it is now connected. I've written about Hector before because Hector is a show. And then multi-chain broke and multi-chain ultimately has killed Hector and forced Hector to do the thing that it was refusing to do. So uh, worlds collide, I guess you could say. And to top it all off in this confusing time of multi-chain, you'd think, well, multi-chain itself will know what's happened to multi-chain, but that is not the case because multi-chain tweeted out on the 14th, some crazy, crazy nonsense. Ben, can you give us a taste of it? Well, it really is a crazy, crazy tweet. And that says a lot in crypto. So this is a cross-chain router protocol, it calls itself. And it's had $100 billion in volume transacted on it. And then it puts out a tweet about this CEO that he already mentioned, who was probably taken off by the Chinese authorities. And uh, this is proof positive, I think, of kind of vulnerability of this project that uh, this guy was basically carted off. And he took all the kind of crown jewels, all the, you know, server permissions with him and nobody could access this chain and do anything with it. It seems incredible. And there's a singular tweet here um, with a kind of 
12 points in it that explains exactly what happened to this poor gentleman and uh, how his family tried to cobble things together as best they could without him being there by accessing his computers. But it's really no way to run a business or a protocol like this to be dependent on a single person and a family kind of scrambling around to try and make it all work with sticky back plastic and uh, cotton wool. So um, it's pretty incredible. And we'll put this tweet in the, uh, in the show page. Okay, so just for fun, Cam, can you read item number 12 on this tweet that I was just talking about? I cannot believe I'm about to read this. I cannot believe these words were actually tweeted on the multi-chain account out in the public on the original bird app. I would have used Thread. I would have used Thread for this too. (laughs) Maybe even Blue Skies, less people would see it, but here we go. Mastodon. Mastodon even, maybe Noster. Okay. Please help amplify and ask users not to use the multi-chain service anymore. Can GoDaddy help bring down multi-chain.org? Thanks. Mind's blown. Mind's blown right there. That's ridiculous. You love to see a company that is so kerfuffled that it has to call GoDaddy up and say, please help me. Jesus Christ. What a crazy, crazy world we live in. All right, we're going to go to Cam's Corner now. This is where Cameron Thompson takes us into the deep, dark dungeon that is uh, the world of uh, Web3. And I'm sure it's a much prettier place than uh, Danny's dungeon. But let's see, uh, Cam, what do you have for us this week? Well, nothing dark and scary. We're talking about the allow list that wasn't or was not allowed in any sense, which might seem like a bad thing. But at the end of the day, I think it's really cool and something that, you know, I want to shed light on because there's not really many NFT projects in the space doing something like this. So Eric Calderon, CEO of Artblocks, which is the very popular leading generative art platform that originally released the Chromie Squiggle Collection, a very popular generative collection of rainbow squiggles that sell for more than $10,000, and recently was auctioned off in the Sotheby's sale of the seized assets from failed hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. Anyways, 3AC had a squiggle, so that's how you know it's pretty good. Um, Eric decided that he was going to mint an additional 81 Chromie squiggles and give them to friends, coworkers, people in his life who had been mentors, as well as several charitable organizations and DAOs and people in the space who would put them to good use. So just for context, when Eric originally minted this Genesis Artblocks collection, Chromie squiggles, He minted 9,040 of its 10,000 cap. And typically when another NFT collection might do this, they might save the rest of the NFT and mint them for sale so that people who didn't get into the first batch could get into the second. But instead, what he's doing is he's saving that extra 1,000 to mint over time at a very slow rate in order to just gift them to people and give them across the space and not really take much financial benefit, of course, you know, not receiving any mint money, just having that extra amount around and being able to do what he wants with it. And he said that he wanted to do this as a meaningful way to conclude the project. So some of the people include Maya Spirits. This is a Web3 organization that is raising money for educational efforts in Mexico. Also, several people, including his executive coach, all of his employees at Artblocks are getting a squiggle. What do you guys think about this? Have you seen something like this before? I have, because I unfortunately had to uh, decline an offer of a Chromie squiggle once upon a time from one Eric Calderon. Pretty sure that one of those times that we've met up, he did offer me one and I just, I could not take it because uh, that would be a a violation of 
some annoying morality clause in my contract. Uh, I will say, though, that Damn. the morality clause did not stop me from stealing a picture of a chromie squiggle that was on the wall at ETH Denver 2022. It was a very small little poster about the size of an index card, and I thought it was beautiful, and I thought, I need to write this historical wrong. And so I, I removed the tape from the back of the index card, and I cherish it to this day. You Love stole that. something from ETH Denver? Yes. So look, it, it was the end of the conference. It was a little printout. It wasn't worth anything. It was a picture of a squiggle. Okay. Um, yeah. So my morality stops me from uh, taking gifts. But I am more than happy to steal ugly posters <laughs> from walls. Right. You'll gift it to yourself, but you just can't have it yes, gifted that, to such you. Such is the way of the struggling writer. Unfortunately, I couldn't eat the squiggle, so. It's good that you're not perfect, then you're like the rest of us. If I was perfect, I would have a TV show, not a radio show. Cam, bring us back to the culture here. Absolutely. So Chromie Squiggles were a very early NFT collection, very early in terms of the NFT boom. You know, they were minted in November 2020, and it was Artblocks' first collection. And Artblocks has grown into a massive family, home, group of generative artists and a place where people go to get their generative art created. And the Squiggle is really that flagship signifier of Artblocks. And people put their squiggles on hats, they put their squiggles on their walls, they you know, use them as an email signature. The Squiggle DAO came up with that, which is the group of squiggle holders and non-squiggle holders who are super excited about this effort to be able to have generative art and appreciate it. So it does have a really big meaning. It's something for Eric to show his appreciation to the people in the space. It sounds very heartwarming, and he's a good guy, isn't he, Eric? He's, he's not as shy to like uh, some people in this space. So um, it's good to hear that he's giving uh, these things away to his employees and to people who can really benefit. So that's, uh, that's lovely. All right. Well, that was some good news from the NFT space. You know, we have things that happen here and there, always some drama, but it's really nice to see a project, like Ben said, that's doing some good and honoring some people who have been sticking through Web3, especially in the time of the bear market. That was Carpe Consensus. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any feedback, any questions, or you're just here to vibe, you know, if you have anything to say about how we're doing, if you want us to have a TV show, <laughs> let us know. Just drop us a comment on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Anything you want us to know, anything you want us to talk about, we're here. All right, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Danny. Bye. 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 Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production, executive produced by Jared Schwartz, and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.